Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us for another Stories from the Field episode where we're connecting with different people who are able to drive home the impact of organizations and their work around the globe. If you're looking for tactical ways to move forward and make this type of impact in your endeavors, then you need to check out Journey to Social Entrepreneurship, an entire event designed to harness the power of service and move forward towards successful social enterprise. Check that out and unlock all of the recordings. My free gift to you at journeytosocialentrepreneurship.com. And with that, we've got some incredible stories on the line today. Wednesday, we explored a completely new way of reading the news with Olive Kalamanda of Ideal Impact. Rather than passively pursuing stories, he was focusing on engagement and activism. Today, we are exploring the other side of the coin, writing the news. Joining us is Catherine Cheney of DevX to explore how solutions journalism is the second half of the solution to activating change through the news. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you actually got your introduction to impact journalism with a very similar company to Ideal Impact called Nationswell. Can you describe the type of impact that you had through that role? Absolutely. Um, so I joined Nationswell as the first hire um, and have since moved on but remain very supportive of what they do. And the whole mission behind Nationswell is to move America forward, as the company puts it. So what we really identified was there was no one place where you could go to discover what's actually working in America when it comes to infrastructure, education, governance. There was no one place where you could find the stories about the problem solvers who were really doing it better and doing it differently. I like the way you phrase that, discover what's working. There's a lot of news on what's broken. Oh, absolutely. And I think reporters tend to follow those stories. And um, what we say at the Solutions Journalism Network, a group I'm um, involved with now, and we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, we always say problems scream and solutions whisper. And I think it's so true. It's harder to find those stories about what's working. Problems scream, solutions whisper. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do. And I'm glad that you kind of brought that up because we are going to dive into solutions journalism. And I have a perfect example that I was reading just before the episode, actually. Yeah. <laughs> One of the roles that you did with Nationswell was kind of to help get these stories go viral. Do you have a good example of when this actually happened? Absolutely. So um, one of my favorite stories from Nationswell, um, and you know, a lot of my work with Nationswell was kind of building the company, everything from you know launching our website to building up our our membership network and event series, which that was another way we would showcase these solutions. Uh, but sometimes I would have the privilege of reporting, which is always my favorite part of journalism, actually getting out there and meeting those problem solvers. And uh, one example I'd love to talk about was a group called Go Baby Go. And uh, I actually lived in Delaware at the time. Um, and so speaking of problem scream and solutions whisper, I actually think it's great for journalists and storytellers to live outside of the typical hubs for media, you know, DC, New York, San Francisco. Um, so Along those lines, living in Delaware, I had heard of a professor at the University of Delaware who was doing something 
really unique when it came to addressing the needs of children with mobility conditions. So take a child with Down syndrome, for example, who it might take them a little more time to be able to move and touch and feel and, you know, taste the things that they see the way that a child without that kind of condition would be able to explore their surroundings. So what this professor did at Go Baby Go is he was working with these really expensive, really heavy robots um, and basically automated wheelchairs and vehicles for mobility. And then he was in a Toys R Us store one day and he thought, what if I just took this Barbie car or this Jeep car, you know, about $100 off the shelf at Toys R Us and made a slight modification and that could become a vehicle for kids with mobility disorders. Coolest idea ever. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I had heard about this professor, reached out, um, joined up with our very talented video producer, went to the University of Delaware and told this story about Go Baby Go. Um, And this is just an example of, you know, you find those stories, these kind of little known problem solvers. You look at, as we always say, at the Solutions Journalism Network, who's doing it better, right? And you tell that story. And the impact that can come from a story like that is is just amazing to see. So looking at Go Baby Go, for example, um, we told this story on nationswell.com. It did very well among our own audience. But, you know, you really have to look at the whole media ecosystem when you want to make an impact. Part of what really moved the needle in terms of impact was Upworthy ended up picking up this video. Um, At the time, especially, they had huge traffic looking for inspirational stories like this one. Um, NBC Nightly News ended up doing a story on Go Baby Go as a result. Uh, We ended up doing a panel with Go Baby Go at South by Southwest. And I'll just throw out there... In my mind, events are really a form of journalism. I think engaging audiences live and in person is increasingly important given how we're all so, you know, heads down in our devices these days. Especially if you have this amazing robotic car that gives individuals with developmental disabilities an entire new take on mobility. Absolutely. And and really the fact that it's it also kind of aligns with the maker movement, which I think is just a really interesting thing for journalists to latch on to. People want to make, people want to build, um, collaborate. And Go Baby Go, you know, it's very simple modifications to toy cars that come off the shelves. So you, you know, grab some pipes and you grab some swim noodles and things like that, and you can do it too. And so the impact of this story, Go Baby Go went from being, you know, this highly effective, highly impactful, but little known research facility at the University of Delaware to now there are Go Baby Go chapters all over the country, all over the world. I think it's actually been almost difficult for them to keep up with the level of interest. Yeah, Um, especially when you take a solution that's so well-defined and take it national. I mean, that's really tapping a nerve. There's so many families who need that solution. Absolutely. And that's just one example. Um, Nation Swell continues to tell great stories, you know, seek out these problem solvers across the country. And Part of the idea is that, you know, if you look at what's working, that kind of storytelling is what will drive social change. And that's something I do really believe in. Oh, absolutely love the idea of both taking those, as you define them, unknown change makers and really kind of helping them scale their stories and help more people. That's empowering. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, you know, one thing that has been interesting to see 
my my opinion on the importance of giving readers an easy way to take action has sort of shifted over time, and it probably will continue to shift. Um, and I love talking with people about that topic. At Nationswell, one of the things we built out was a way for readers to take action. In the moment you're inspired, you can tweet your representative, you can sign a petition, you can make a donation. Um, Very but, similar to what Olivet Ideal Impact has exactly, built out. Exactly, exactly. And I've spoken with him quite a few times, love and support what he's doing. Um, but it's interesting. I've kind of moved more in the direction of thinking it is pretty hard to even predict the kind of impact a story can have or tailor the kind of action someone can take. I mean, you look at Go Baby Go, for example. We could have asked people to donate. We could have asked people to, you know, sign a pledge in support of what they're doing, for example. But it's it's almost hard to force that um, or guide that. And what the sort of organic movement that was built up around that story is something that I think a button couldn't have accomplished. I think it really does come back to the power of storytelling and how powerful stories can drive actions. And I know that's something that you know, Olivier and Ideal Impact, he's, he's trying to harness um, powerful storytelling. And in that moment that you're inspired, here's a way you can take action. I think that's really powerful. But I think what I've been focusing on lately is really encouraging journalists to look at what's working, to ask who's doing it better. Um, and, you know, at the Solutions Journalism Network, that's a lot of what we're trying to drive, practice change. And in my opinion, that is what's really needed is for journalists to cover responses to problems as rigorously as they would cover the problems themselves. Ooh, Take that is a high bar. Can we pause there and really dig in and define what is solutions journalism? Absolutely. So it's reporting on responses to the problems as rigorously as you would report on the problems themselves. I have to say, I think there were some stories we told at Nationswell while they were great stories and I was proud to be a part of them, I think some of them would not have counted as solutions journalism in, in the definition I'm providing here. So um, I think an example of what is not solutions journalism is hero worship, as some people might call it, right? Where there's a person and they're really inspiring and they're doing something really great and you basically write a profile on that person versus really digging into I, I think uh, what I've heard one of the founders of the Solutions Journalism Network say is that in good solutions journalism, it's not a person that's the hero, it's the idea that's the hero. And you're looking at the details of why that particular approach is working better. Um, Almost I'll, in the way that you can replicate it. Totally, totally. And I'll give a couple of examples of um, kinds of solutions journalism. Um, one one example I'll give that I think is pretty powerful is looking at positive deviance. So um, let's take global health. When journalists look at data sets for, say, malaria, they might go, oh, wow, look at the high incidence of malaria in this country. What a sad story. I'm going to write about it. And there's the headline. Exactly. Versus if they learn to kind of put on their solutions caps and look for what's working and who's doing it better, they might go, and actually this is a story I've been looking into lately, they might look at Zanzibar, um, a cluster of islands off of the coast of Tanzania, where they have come close to eliminating malaria. And they might go, 
well, that's really interesting. Despite the high rates here, here, and here, look at the low rates here. I'm going to look at how that happened. And what is the solution that they have? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's so interesting, especially so many of your examples have revolved around kind of global health. And you definitely (laughs) have this global outlook with your work with DevX. The example I was looking at on Solutions Journalism before we started this call was actually Ebola and how all the news was about Ebola and how it was this terrible thing and it was impacting everywhere. Meanwhile, Nigeria actually had found a solution, Mm -hmm. but nobody knew that. Exactly. And that's why we call it a lot of times, you know, we're talking about problem, scream, solutions, whisper. Another thing we say is the whole story. That's what really what we're talking about, the whole story. And some people will say, you know, you mentioned Ebola as a great example. Some people will say, well, why do you call it solutions journalism? Shouldn't that just be journalism? Shouldn't (laughs) journalism just be looking at what's working in addition to what's not? And the basic answer is yes, that's the goal. And yeah, I would definitely emphasize that um, there is space. There is certainly a space for um, innovation in terms of how do we get readers to engage with the news. But if they don't have stories that inspire them because it's looking at what's working and what they might learn from it, they won't click any buttons anyway. So I think that's that's where I'm kind of focusing my energy is on the practice change on the journalist side. Definitely two sides to this story, it's so that. to say. Both sides are important. We're not only retraining readers on how they actually read the news, but we're creating journalisms who are writing it to activate real meaningful change that helps further those solutions. Absolutely. And, and one thing I'd add in there that you know, I, I think in terms of the many ways this can be approached, you know, I mentioned Solutions Journalism Network, what the Huffington Post is doing, what Politico is doing. Um, it's a really exciting time. I think one area that presents a compelling opportunity here to look at what's working is sort of more niche focused publications. So um, DevX, for example, and part of why I was drawn to this opportunity to be the West Coast correspondent for DevX, the DevX motto is do good, do it well. So the whole idea is, you know, what we as reporters at DevX do is we think, how can we help development professionals do their jobs differently? Well, that naturally lends itself to a solutions journalism approach, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask that question, who's doing it better? And if I tell those stories, now, mind you, that requires very rigorous reporting. There, there's almost nothing worse than a than a poorly reported solutions journalism piece than saying, hey, this person's doing it better when in fact they're not. It requires very in-depth research and due diligence. Um, and I, I really value my, my sources for those reasons because I am I rely on them and I trust their opinions to say, hey, who's doing it better? But I do think this do good, do it well mission at DevX and there are other publications like it with a sort of more focused audience and community presents really... Uh, compelling ways for journalists to try out solutions journalism and have more immediate impact because that audience can use that information. Oh, just so many great things. And, you know, from the business side of me, as a publication, you know, where you're describing those increased engagement, that's what I want. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, you mentioned the business side of your work. I mean, that is something I've become interested in as well. I was recently at a Hacks and Hackers event. Hacks and Hackers is, are you familiar with Hacks and Hackers? I'm not, but they get props for the best title ever. Isn't it fantastic? Um, So Hacks and Hackers brings, as you might guess, journalists and developers together to talk about 
basically the future of media. I mean, that's kind of the overarching theme. And we had um, a Hacks and Hackers event in San Francisco where about 100 uh, journalists and developers came together talking about, you know, ideas for the future of media, very grounded in business models. Um, so, you know, Matter, which is a, an accelerator for media companies based here in the Bay Area, Matter was there. Um, Google News Lab was there and we were talking about new ideas for the future of media. That's, I mean, I think I love what Olivier is doing. Um, I loved being a part of NationSwell. I love being a part of DevX and Solutions Journalism Network. There's so much momentum in this space, but definitely room for more involvement when it comes to, I think a lot of people agree, Solutions Journalism is just good journalism and should be journalism. And we need more media looking at responses to problems. Um, and so you see so many examples of that. And I, you know, I, I brainstorm and, and love conversations like this one because I think it helps me brainstorm what else is needed. And I do think um, there's, there's definitely space for further participation for, for those who agree. And I hope listeners to this podcast do that um, solutions journalism is just good journalism and more of it is needed. Oh, all right. So our final question for today. So being at this Hacks and Hackers event, what do you see as the future of journalism? What can we as readers, subscribers, listeners kind of envision on the horizon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, it's very hard to predict the future of journalism. I mean, I, uh, and I'm certainly not the one to predict it, um, but I, I'm always excited to have that conversation. I'll, I'll just give you one example. I mean, um, probably three months ago, I would have talked about virtual reality as the future of journalism, but quickly it's becoming the now. Uh, I don't know if you've tried virtual reality journalism, but I, uh, in November, tried virtual reality for the first time. I put on a headset and I was transported to Kenya with President Clinton. This was a film uh, done in partnership with the Clinton Global Initiative, where you travel with President Clinton to Kenya to see their work on the ground. And actually a funny story, exactly one week prior, I had actually been in Peru with President Clinton for DevEx. Yeah, writing about his work. <laughs> And it, I can't even tell you what a crazy experience it was, so it's fun to be able to talk about it. So you I, had the real experience and then got to compare it to the virtual one. Exactly. So I had the real experience with President Clinton on the ground, seeing the work of the Clinton Foundation. One week later, put on this virtual reality headset at this conference in Silicon Valley and transported to Kenya with President Clinton. And there was one part of me that wanted to keep the mask on, the headset, because it was just amazing what I was seeing and it felt so real and it's like you hear a twig snap behind you and you turn around and you see a child. No two people view the film in the same way. The other part of me wanted to rip the headset off my face and grab the filmmaker who was standing right there and say, this is insane. I was with President Clinton last week and this feels more real. <laughs> it really did. It was crazy. And so that's a very long way of answering your question. You know, what is the future of journalism? I can't even pretend to know. Things are changing so quickly. It's such an exciting time. When I was immersed in that VR film, I thought, oh my goodness, I need to learn these techniques and I need to become a VR filmmaker because it really does, I think, have the, the potential to transform. I mean, you are transported to another place. And so you talk about impact. If, if you're trying to, you know, encourage apathy, or, sorry, encourage apathy. And let me rephrase that, quite the opposite. 
if you're trying to encourage empathy among readers and, you know, our world is increasingly connected and yet it's easy to feel far away from the problems we all share. So you talk about the refugee crisis, for example. There's only so much you can capture in writing when you're writing about refugee issues. But put on a virtual reality headset and you are transported to a refugee camp and you are marked by that story in a way that I think even the best writing cannot capture. So that's just one example of in the past three months, I discovered virtual reality storytelling. I think it is not just the future of journalism, but very much the present. It's a very exciting next chapter for journalism. And um, where do our listeners even go to actually experience this? I've never even heard of it. Yeah. So, oh, wow. So um, I hadn't really either. I thought it was this very futuristic thing, but it's very real and it's happening now. Um, I actually wrote a story uh, that I would recommend and it's called, Does Development Need Virtual Reality? And it looks at this question. It looks at how the United Nations is using VR filmmaking. Um, so if you want to check out that story, uh, it's up on DevX. You can find it online. Does development need virtual reality? I link to some films that are, you know, some great examples of the way virtual reality can draw readers in to these otherwise faraway places. Um, you know, there are more expensive headsets from groups like Oculus or Samsung. But then Google, for example, has released Google Cardboard which is only $20. It's a cardboard virtual reality viewer. You can view virtual reality on your iPhone. You just put it in your cardboard viewer. I actually have two sitting next to me right now because <laughs> I loved mine and I was so excited and I had to buy my husband one so I didn't sit by myself staring into cardboard. <laughs> so you could virtually be there together. Exactly. We're virtually there together. Um, but I guess my broader point on um, the reason I dive into virtual reality, I, I think when we talk about the future of journalism, it is hard to even capture because the field is changing so quickly. Again, I think it's a really exciting time. Um, you know, I'm all about hybrid forms of storytelling, and that's going to continue to change. I, you know, live events as journalism, more and more publications moving into live events, virtual reality journalism, social media, all these new platforms that are coming out here new companies like Ideal Impact. Um, but I think just what I would emphasize is as journalism continues to evolve, as our ways of telling and consuming powerful storytelling from around the world continues to evolve, I hope, and I try to practice this in my own work and also promote it through the Solutions Journalism Network, I hope that the energy of these storytellers will be directed toward responses to problems and what's working in addition to what's not. Because I think we have so many shared problems on this planet and in my mind, the best way to feel connected around those problems and to work on shared solutions is to feel that we have a shared stake. And I think good storytelling on problem solving, responses to problems, gives us a shared stake in those shared problems and therefore we can work on shared solutions. Wow, Catherine, this has just been an absolutely phenomenal and kind of mind-blowing conversation, especially once we got to the virtual reality part. Yeah, we'll need to get you hooked up with a Google Cardboard, absolutely. So Most definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We're going to have links to all of the, either the articles, the references, the websites that you mentioned on our show notes page. And I'm going to have to look into this virtual reality thing and see what I can even link to on the show notes page. 
Absolutely. I'll help you out with that. It's, it's definitely something your listeners should try. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that really unique insight into not only the world of journalism, but solutions journalism and virtual reality-based solutions journalism. Absolutely insane. For all of the articles mentioned and all the different resources, head on over to our show notes page at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash devvex. That's D-E-V-E-X. Until next time, keep doing your part to make the world a better place.